Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in two areas of Scripture. If you've got your Bible, it is Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, as well as Joshua, chapter 14. This is the second part of Whose Land Is It? We started in Joshua 13, venturing now into Joshua chapter 14. Once again, those areas of Scripture, Mark chapter 12, Joshua chapter 14. If you were not aware or didn't check out Instagram today, today is the National Day of Prayer. and So we're going to take just a moment to, like I said on Instagram today, ask the Lord to pour out just one more revival before his return so that we can usher in that last person that needs to get saved before Jesus comes. Now, if you're here tonight, please come to Jesus so that we can go be in heaven. Amen? Amen. Who's ready to go be with Jesus? Hey, if you didn't shout, you're the one. So please, tonight, come forward. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, your word promises to the children of Israel that if they were to humble themselves and pray, you'd hear them and heal their land. And I have to believe that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, for that's what your word says. With that as the case, here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, we're humbling ourselves with the sacrifice of our lips, and we're coming to you with our hearts bent in worship, pleading on behalf of this nation. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for offering our children the hands of Molech, So we see a battle raging over the right of life of a child. Forgive us. Forgive the church for staying in the darkness or being a closet Christian. Have mercy on us, Lord, and fill us with the power of your Spirit that we might fulfill the great commission in the way of the great command to go and preach the gospel and make disciples, and most importantly, doing it with love. Father, I pray, pour out your spirit on this nation and bring revival to this land. We pray that it would start first in our own hearts, and we ask God as you light that candle of our heart that it would set a burning inferno first here in L.A., in our great state, around this nation, and then spread it through the rest of the world. We believe. We believe your word that says, say to the mountain, be removed, and it shall be be removed. And so by faith, we ask you, Lord, move the mountain that exists so that revival can pour out. And we pray in Jesus' name, that as we study your word tonight, that you, like Caleb, would give us a whole heart after God. Because I believe it's time for the church to stand up. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Jesus is in the midst of an inquisition. It's Mark chapter 12. The Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes have met all night trying to think of a way to publicly humiliate Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, a man comes up and asks him a question. What's the greatest commandment or the first commandment of all? Jesus, he responds in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, 
the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Stop there if you would. Jesus is making a command. He's giving a direction to follow. And he says the way that you will show your allegiance and alignment, solidarity to the living God is with a whole heart. That you are following him wholly with everything of who you are. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, every bit of you, the whole of you, is following after God. Well, we taught this in the hard sayings of Jesus, that all of our relationships, they should seem like hatred in comparison to our wholehearted commitment to Jesus. What the New Testament teaches about wholeheartedness, you better believe that the Old Testament, it gives us examples for us to follow or not to follow. Let me give you a not to follow. It's the impact of the disobedience of the children of Israel not going into the promised land when the 12 spies came back in the book of Numbers. But there is an example for us to follow. We're going to find it in Joshua chapter 14. His name is Caleb. And though his name means dog, and I don't know about you, but dogs are the most faithful friends that you can imagine. It don't matter what you do to them. When you come home, they will jump on you and love on you no matter what. I have a 120-pound Burmese mountain dog, and he thinks he's a lap dog. And when I get on my couch, he jumps on my lap and he sits there. My mom, who's almost 80 years old, he thought for sure that she needed a blanket. And I have a picture of him thinking that she, he is a lap dog on my 79-year-old mother. And though his name means dog, Caleb, he's going to give us a great example of what it means to follow God wholly with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength in order for us to receive the promises that God has for us. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 14. Let's take a look. Joshua chapter 14, we're going to pick it up from verse 6. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. But I, listened to his testimony, Holy followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore, or he promised, on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Because you have, listen to the testimony of Moses, you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Now let me catch us up with a little bit of review if you weren't here last week. Joshua has already divided out the two and a half tribes. He's already given land to two and a half tribes. There remains nine and a half tribes for Joshua to distribute amongst the children of Israel. So Caleb, knowing the amount of land that's there and knowing that he is just about to divide all this land, he's like, hold on a second, Joshua. Let me remind you of something. Let's just remember what Moses promised me. And there's some land that I went to back in Numbers 14 that Moses promised would be my land. So before you start dividing out all this land, let's talk about what Moses promised me. But there's another greater spiritual lesson in this as well. You see, Joshua is just about to divide the land. And what Joshua is doing in his journal for the children of Israel is using the life of Caleb to reveal what it's going to be like in order for them to live in the promise that God has for them. You're going to need to be like Caleb. 
You're going to need to wholly follow the Lord your God in order to go into your land, defeat your enemy, and occupy the land and inherit the promise for you. Caleb is going to be your example. Caleb is going to be our example. And Caleb, he testifies of himself. He says, I wholly follow the Lord my God. And now I'm going to receive my promise. And Moses His own testimony of Caleb was that he wholly followed the Lord, his God. Well, this word holy, it means fully. It means abundantly, satisfactorily, accomplished, complete. It means 150% commitment to God. This is the widow walking up to the offering and giving into the offering everything she had. She gave the widow's might. She had nothing left. She gave absolutely her whole being to God. That's Caleb. The Bible says that he had a great example to follow. Would you take a look with me if you would go back and uh, 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 to verse, uh, excuse me, to verse, where are we? Eight. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord. So Moses swore. Now let's understand who this Moses is. Go back up to verse seven. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord. You see, what Moses, what Caleb is saying is, I had a great example. Moses gave his whole life to follow God, and I followed the example of Moses. And now what we get to do is we get to look at the life of Caleb and follow his life. And what we're going to see is seven principles that I want us to write down. Now, seven, a whole number, a complete number, the final number, the number of God as he created the earth in seven days. We're going to see seven principles of Caleb's life that we can follow because I want all of us in this room, including myself, to have the same testimony that Caleb had that we wholly followed the Lord, a complete commitment to God. Let's take a look. It's number one. Maybe you want to write it down. It's the first of seven principles. You see, if you want to wholly follow the Lord your God, it begins first with redemption. It begins with your personal redemption. Take a look at Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, now, I know we've got a tendency just to read over those words that we can't read or understand. What is a Kenizzite and who is Jephthah? But we've got to stop for just a minute and not just read this over because there's a powerful point that the Holy Spirit is making. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, we understand and learn that the Kenizzites were the people of Canaan. They were not Jews. The Kenizzites were the people of Canaan. And they were of the descendants of Esau. You'll see on the screen, it's Genesis chapter 36. Why don't you take a look real quick? I'm going to read it for you. I think it's going to be on the screen. Maybe it won't be. (laughs) Genesis chapter 36, you will discover in verses 9 through 11 that Esau's descendants were the Kenzanites. Listen to this. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz. And the sons of Eliphaz were Taman, Omar, Zepho, Gadam, and Kenaz. And Kenaz was the father of the Kenizzites. They were of the line of Esau living in the land of Canaan. They were not Jews. Somewhere along the line... Caleb's family gets grafted into Israel at some point. Now, most theologians believe that they were part of the mixed multitude that left with Jacob's uh, children, the five million Jews that left Egypt, and they were amongst those mixed multitudes. Now, let me explain. We know what those mixed multitudes did. They were grumblers. They were complainers. They agitated the children of Israel. Caleb is from that line. I need to let you know something. Do you know with God it doesn't matter where you come from? It matters where you're going. You see, we serve a God that rescues. He's a lifeguard. 
We serve a God who restores. We serve a God who redeems. You see, it matters not where you come from. It matters where you're going. And the personal decisions that you make today can affect how you wholly follow the Lord tomorrow. You see, redemption is what God is all about. Your testimony right now tonight, whatever it is, if your family knows you as grumpy, guess what? You can change. If your family knows you as sleepy, and all you do is when you come home, you fall asleep. If your family knows you as dopey. Now, I know that these seven dwarfs would never be named in the 21st century world. But we look back on Sneezy and Dopey and Doc, and we see they were given names according to their character. So take a personal evaluation for just a moment, and you, if you were to ask your family, your co-workers, what would they name you? Would they name you frustrated? Would they name you bitter? Would they name you careless? Would they name you helpless? What would they name you? When we lived in Liberia, we took in a woman of the street. Her name was Victoria. And we had another young man that was living with us at the time. His name was Henry. His father had kicked him out because he was a quote-unquote, excuse me, if I could, I'm going to use his words, useless child. We took him in. And we actually had 22 kids living with us while we were in Liberia, outside of our own. We were like Abraham's army. You had to be. Because rebels would attack our house every night. We wanted 22 fighting men living in the house with us. And Andrea, she put Victoria under her wing. And then she came to know Christ. And I put Henry under my wing. And he came to know Christ. And Henry, today... He's a deacon at Calvary Chapel in Liberia. And he's married to Victoria, and they have two incredible godly children because she's no longer a woman of the street, and he's no longer a son that was kicked out because he's useless. They were both redeemed and are now wholly following the Lord. That's what God does. God redeems. Number two, I want you to write it down. You want to wholly follow the Lord? You've got to gain God's perspective. You've got to be gaining God's perspective. You see, what we learn in verse 7, would you take a look once again? Verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Caleb was chosen from the tribe of Judah. Numbers chapter 13, you can look it up later. He was one of the 12, and he was the tribe of Judah's pick. Now, let me tell you something. There had to be something about Caleb for the entire tribe of all of those thousands of people to come out with Caleb and say that he was God's choice to go spy out the land. Well, Moses tells us something in Numbers 14, 24 about Caleb. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, you don't need to turn there. Numbers 14, verse 24, listen to what it says about, what Moses says about Caleb. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Did you hear that? Moses says he had a different spirit. He was brave. He was unlike anyone else. He was courageous. And the difference about him, Moses defines in this same chapter, he wholly followed the Lord. You see, in verse 7, we learned, Caleb says, I brought back was in my heart. Do you know who was in his heart? God. God was in his heart. And let me tell you what God told the children of Israel. This land is your land. I'm giving it to you. And when the spies went in and saw the giants, 10 of them came back and said, we can't go in that land, there's giant, but not Caleb. He came back and said, God said the land belongs to us, and I don't care if there are giants in that land, 
that land belongs to us. And I told Moses, even if there are giants in that land, if God said that land is ours, I believe that land is ours. Let's go take that land. Well, I say the same thing about L.A. That land is my land. And God has promised it to me. And I believe that it's our responsibility to go and take the land. Well, you might be sitting there going, well, LA is a big place. I'm not joining you because I'm not going to be stuck wandering around in LA for 40 years. You see, the truth of the matter is this. He trusted God to do what he said that he would do. And let me tell you why he had God's perspective. Let me tell you why he trusted God. Because he had God's perspective. Let me explain. God knows the future. He knew that the land was theirs. And let me tell you something. God wouldn't have told the children of Israel if it wasn't so because God doesn't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. So when God told the children of Israel, go look at the land and go survey it because it's yours, it really was theirs. You see, God's perspective was not the battles. God's perspective was the victory. And he said to them, you can live in this victory, just go into the land. That's God's perspective for your life. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever sin it is that you don't think you can ever overcome, God lives already in the victory because our faith is the victory that overcomes. You got to gain God's perspective. That's how you wholly follow the Lord. Number three, I want you to write it down. Verse eight, you got to be willing to stand alone. You got to be willing to stand alone. Alone. Let's pick it up there in verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, willing to stand alone, not only did they make the heart of the people melt, they also, according to Numbers chapter 14, verse 10, they also wanted to stone Caleb. They wanted to stone him. We're not going into that land. Can you imagine how mad you've got to be at someone to pick up a rock and throw it at them? To kill them. Because you know how many rocks it takes to kill you? Well, if you're Goliath, it takes one right about here. But can you imagine being so mad and angry that you pick up a rock and you throw it at someone? And even in the midst of all that anger, Caleb made the stand for God. You see, this is the kind of faith that Jesus is beckoning us to. It's the kind of faith that he's asking us, lose your life for my sake. Paul would say, and having done all to stand, stand some more. You see, standing alone is exactly what Caleb decided to do. People in the world, they'll think you're dumb. What do you mean you're standing for God? Don't you know that that's first century stuff? We're in the 21st century world. And don't you know that people in the church will say, what in the world are you doing? I was talking to a guy today. And I was, the Lord is putting on his heart that he needs to leave his business, that he needs to leave the life that he's living of luxury, and he needs to give his life to God. And the first thing he said is this, my family's going to think I'm nuts. My friends are going to say, I can't believe you're doing this. You know what my response was? Sounds like you're afraid. You're more afraid of people than you are of following after God. And he goes, why do you always have to be so like right over the forehead with truth? Because truth is truth. It just is what it is. I'll never forget when my pastor prayed over me and Andrea and our nine-month-old baby when we were off to Liberia. And I'm standing in the foyer, and I promise you as a pastor, I'm going to write a book, and it's going to be called The Foyer. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be called The Foyer, colon, what every schizophrenic needs to learn. Because let me explain. I can be talking to one person, we're pregnant. I will turn my back. <gasps> my mom just died. I go from laughing to crying every single moment. And then I go from my mom just died to my dog just died. And then I turn and I find and discover that you just got accepted, accepted into your university. Then I turn this way and I find out that, well, you just got diagnosed with cancer. I'm telling you, I'm going to write a book, how to minister in the foyer. <laughs> what every schizophrenic needs to learn. 
And I'll never forget, I was in the foyer, and I'm shaking people's hands, and a man walked up to me, and I'm 23 years old, 24 years old, and he said this to me, you're the most selfish man I've ever met in my life, that you're taking your wife and your nine-month-old child to die in Liberia, and I hope you die first. Whoa, God bless you. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. And I had to make a decision. And the decision was, we could die. What would this man say? He would say he was right. He would say I'm a fool. And I had to make a decision. Am I willing to stand alone? Because let me tell you something about standing alone. Standing alone takes a lot of character, and it takes a lot of fortitude. You see, he calls the people who were going to stone him. Go back with me to verse 8. I want you to see the amount of character and fortitude that Caleb has. Nevertheless, my brethren, Caleb, Are you kidding me? My brethren? You don't hold any ill will after 45 years? I mean, you're you're choosing to turn the other cheek? Let me tell you something. I don't know if I would have said, my brethren, they're the ones I've been walking around for 45 years. I probably would have had a different word to use, but not Caleb. Caleb was a man of character. And this is a man of character even at great personal cost. Because of their mistake, he walked in the wilderness for 45 years, and he still calls them my brethren. Despite the opposition, he purposed to hold on to the promise that God made him, and he was willing to stand alone. I'll never forget, I will never forget the first Christmas I had in Liberia. It's December 25th, and I hear at 6 a.m. bullets hitting the wall and breaking the glass of my window. That was my good morning to Christmas, December 25th in 1992. I will never forget it. I got off of my bed. I'm hearing, I never heard bullets before, and they're shooting at me. This is not a video game. This is reality. I can't, like, turn it off. Like, the Atari, I'm just dating myself. I don't even, the Nintendo, is that out still? I, I don't know. Uh, what's a, a play, play box? What is it called? Xbox and a PlayStation. Wow. Thank you, younger generation. <laughs> and for you, the older ones that are rebuking me, God bless you. I'll get you later, okay? I'll never forget that Christmas. My pastor's wife told me, Chet, before you go to Liberia, Write down all the promises of God that he's given you. Because there's going to come a time when you need that promise. So as those bullets were flying, do you know what I did? As those bullets were flying, I went to my journal and I read this. Have I not commanded you, Chet? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. After that, every missionary left in January. And I knew that God called me to Liberia and I alone stayed in Liberia because he gave me a promise and I believed I could even stand alone. He gave me such peace. He gave me such confidence that I would live through the next morning and that I would live through because it was he that sent me. He knew the war was coming. He knows my future, and he told me, I've told you what to do. Now be strong and of good courage and just do it. Amen? You've got to be willing to stand alone. Number four, I want you to write it down. If you want to wholly follow after, after the Lord your God, you've got to be learning and living the word. Le- learning and living 
the word. Let's pick it up there in verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you wholly follow the Lord your God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he has said, these 40 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while, I, it, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day. I'm 85 years old, verse 11. As yet, as, as yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, I know you want to read on, but just stay with me for a moment. It's number four. We're going to be learning and living the war, uh, uh, the word. You see, Moses swore. And what that word means is Moses made a promise because the Lord spoke this promise to Moses for Caleb and Moses gave the promise to Caleb. He gave him the word of God. God told Moses what to say and Moses told Caleb the promise that he had for him. This is a lot like sermon prep. You see, a pastor, a pastor goes before the Lord and prays. And then a pastor will read the text, study the Hebrew or study the Greek, maybe read a couple of commentaries, and purpose to prepare, and then will deliver a message so that the people can understand. Now, it's amazing to me. When some people are convicted, they want to shoot me. They want to throw a tomato at me. They want to walk right out the church and say, I can't believe that he said that. Why would you shoot the messenger? If they're faithful to deliver God's word, not Caleb. Caleb wholly followed the word. He learned it from Moses. Moses gave him the promise that came from God, and he made a decision that he was going to live it. Look at verse 10. Look what he says. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive as he said. Moses believed in the word. And Mo, excuse me, Caleb believed in the word, and Caleb was going to make a decision. I'm going to live the word. And he lived it faithfully for 45 years. And let me tell you something. While the children of Israel were wandering in, in the uh, 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 wilderness, Caleb wasn't wandering. Caleb was waiting. And Caleb waited well. Caleb said, I'm as strong today, 45 years later, as I was then. And I'm sure 100-year-old Joshua is looking at 85-year-old Caleb going, dude, you do not look like you did when you were 40. But we got to remember, Joshua, he just stopped fighting, and he's 100 years old. You see, Caleb and Joshua waited well, because those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word wait, I begin to like tick. Like I think about traffic and I hate lines. I especially hate inefficient lines. And um, I love the United States of America. Let me tell you, I love the United States of America. Let me tell you why. In the Bahamas, okay, you in the United States of America, you believe in like standing behind the person in line. Like you honor that tradition and I love you for it. In the Bahamas, when the, the, the flight attendant makes the announcement, hey, everyone line up, we're going to get on board the plane. Do you know what Bahamians do? We push and we shove and we do everything we can to be first. That's what Bahamians do. And then we get mad at each other when the person told us to line up in a line. Because no one likes to wait to get on the airplane. And then what do you do? You get on the airplane, what do you do? You wait some more. And then if <laughs> Zach and I, when we went to El Salvador this past weekend... We waited on the tarmac for two hours. And then they announced and they said, we're having a problem uh, getting the gas off the airplane. I leaned over to Zach and I go, they shouldn't tell us that. <laughs> number one, that they're taking gas off the plane. And number two, they're having a problem with it. Then he gets on the thing and he goes, well, we've dented the airplane. Don't tell us that. <laughs> Especially for a control freak like me. But we got to learn to wait well told you about being in the Bahamas. In the Bahamas, nothing is made in the Bahamas. Everything is shipped to the Bahamas. 
Everything is shipped to the Bahamas, from dog food to cars. We don't make a thing. Milk, grapefruit, it is all shipped over, and you have to go to the port and pick up things from the port. And I would have to go to the port every, every Monday for about four hours. When I would leave, when I would leave, I was so frustrated because dealing with Bahamians is quite a task. There, there's a national motto. The national motto is no problem. No problem, man. No problem. Now, no problem works when you're late, but when someone else is late, no problem. No problem. It works for you and against you. And you'd wait there for four hours, and you'd ask someone, are you ready? No problem. What do you mean no problem? It is a problem. I've been here for three hours. Finally, I made a decision. I knew I was going to have to wait. So I took a book with me, and I sat at the port, and I started reading a book a week over the four hours. And you know what? When I went home, I wasn't frustrated. I felt accomplished. I felt learned. I felt like I gained knowledge. I had my stuff, and I had stuff. And I was like, whoa, I love waiting well. Caleb was not wandering. Caleb was waiting. And I'm sure that he started some school to, well, teach. Can you just imagine Caleb's taekwondo? Just stay with me for just a moment. And all the little Jewish boys who he was raising up to fight because he trusted God for the promise, they decided, we're going to wait well. And think of what they were eating. Manna, heavenly food. So they weren't being filled with preservatives and hormones and everything that we eat and drink. They're eating food from heaven. Well, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. And if you choose to eat my flesh, in other words, if you choose to crave my word, watch how God is going to fill you up and make you strong. You see, Caleb made the decision, I'm going to learn the word and I'm going to live the word. And let me explain what it did for him. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get bitter. For me, year one. These dumb Israelis, I can't believe I got to be in this desert for another year. Year two. <laughs> Shimei, <laughs> you come near me one more time. My taekwondo guys are going to come and get you. I mean, something would have been festering in my heart, but not Caleb. Caleb didn't get bitter. He got better. You see, Caleb believed God. The Jews are the ones that had the problem. They didn't believe God. And even though Caleb had to suffer for it and wander with their unbelief for 40 years, he doesn't hold it against the Jews. He trusted that God had a plan. He realized that there was a time for that plan to come out. And whether he was going out or coming in, he was ready for whatever. And whenever God was ready, he was going to go into the promised land. And he had an incredible attitude about it. He had an invincible confidence. God told me that I'm going to get my land and I know I'm not going to die until I get my inheritance. Can you think of that attitude going into battle? Think of that attitude going into battle. I'm not going to die until I get my land. You know who Caleb was? William Wallace. He was like, take the hill. We're going down for Scotland. I mean, he knew he was invincible until he saw his promise come to pass. My wife and I, we've watched The Lord of the Rings, and in the last one, don't judge me for it. Okay, don't judge me, okay? I didn't read the book God and the Lord of the Rings, all right? I just like the movie, all right? Just stay with me for a minute. And there's a scene in the movie where um, the evil person, I can't remember his name, um, who's the big evil person? So, uh, so, oh, look who else watched it. <laughs> Uh, that was a trick. I got you. All right, so here we go. Saruman, he comes on the battlefield, and he looks at this soldier and goes, no man can kill me. And this woman takes off her helmet and goes, I am no man. And Andre and I watch that, and she goes, ooh, I like that. 
It takes that kind of attitude to defeat our enemy. We need the same kind of confidence that the disciples had when they saw the resurrected Lord. Nothing is going to stop me until God brings me home. They knew they had the victory. They lived in the victory, and they walked in the victory, and they, more than any other generation, spread the gospel in their generation to every person, to every continent in the world, from India to Europe. Think about the fortitude of having that kind of understanding where you're learning and living the word. Number five, I want you to write it down. You want to wholly follow the Lord, you got to fight the good fight of faith. You got to fight the good fight of faith. Look at verse 11. As yet as I am strong this day on the day that Moses sent me. Look at verse 12. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. If you want to wholly follow the Lord, you've got to realize there's a fight of faith in front of you. And you've got to be fighting the good fight of faith. Because the Bible is not shy in regard to what it means to wholly follow the Lord. We've got a vicious enemy. The Holy Spirit lets us know he's like a lion prowling around waiting to see who he can devour. That's the kind of enemy. And the Bible is not shy to let us know we've got an enemy. Paul. Paul makes it clear in his journal and letters that he faced oppositions here and opposition here, so much so at the end of his life he would write, I have fought the good fight of faith. That's why we're inspired to put on the whole armor of God, not some of the armor, because only by putting the whole armor of God on are we going to be able to stand, because there's a battle. And we're going to need the kind of fortitude that Caleb had, the kind of fortitude that Paul had in order to walk into that battlefield. Joshua, he set a great example for him, like I said. Joshua had been fighting. He's 100 years old. He's just getting ready to retire. And Joshua is letting the children of Israel know through Caleb's life, you've got to have the same kind of fortitude and fight in you that Caleb has. As I'm about to distribute this nine and a half, eight, uh, nine and a half tribe of land, you need to have the fortitude that Caleb has. And Christian, I want to let you know, the Christian life is a battle. You can't be half-hearted about it. You've got to be wholehearted about it. There's too much at stake for you and for others that are watching you. That's why you've got to have the whole armor on, not just some of this. Now, knowing that there's a battle, knowing there's a battle, are you willing, like Caleb, to ask God for your promises? Amen. Are you willing, like Caleb, to ask for your promises? Knowing there's going to be battle. Jesus made it clear the enemy's going to be at work in the parable of the wheat and weeds. He said, listen, a farmer goes out, he plants some wheat. Workers go to sleep. The enemy comes in and plants some weeds. Because wherever there's a work of God, the planting of wheat, there's a work of the enemy, the planting of weeds. He's just busy about work. And wherever he senses that there's a work of God, and let me tell you something, he's sensing something's happening at Calvary Chapel South Bay. So you better believe that the wheat that is being planted, he's going to come in and try to plant some weeds. But you've also got to remember what James reminds us of. You have not because you ask not. So I'm not going to let fear stop me of the enemy from asking for revival because I believe that's God's promise to me. And so I don't care what the enemy brings. I'm asking God to bring revival because I want to fight the battle of faith. Because I want to say at the end of my life, I fought my fight. And don't you want to say the same thing? Number six. Look at Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, verse 12. Now therefore give me... 
Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you've heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord, look how in your Bible that's italicized, will be with me. Will be. It may be. Let me explain what this is in the Hebrew because the will be is not there in the original Hebrew. Unless the Lord is with me, I will drive them out. You need to hear what Caleb is saying. You see, the will be was added to help the English of the translation of the Hebrew. That's why it's in italicies if you have a New King James Version. It's letting you know it's not the original Hebrew. So what he's actually saying is this. I know I need God to do what only he can do so that I can receive my promise. He's saying, I can't go in without God. I know that I need God. He's dependent on God for the power to help him conquer the giants. He knew there were giants there, but he knew that God is a bigger giant. He knew that God could conquer that giant. That's why Paul would say we are more than conquerors. Let me explain what that means. What Paul is saying is though you can't see the victory, you believe the victory is already won. You see, a conqueror's got to see the victory. But someone that's more than a conqueror sees their child saved, even though they're doing drugs right now. You see, someone who's more than a conqueror sees L.A. one for Christ, even though we see the sin that exists in L.A. today. Someone who's more than a conqueror sees their husband coming back home because of prayer, because you're living in the victory. Whoever is more than a conqueror sees the victory. Church, do you have that kind of faith? Well, you're going to have to depend on the power of the Spirit. You see, God's promise is the victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And the problem is, so many people live in the lie of defeat. I can never change. They'll never come back. They'll never get saved. I've been praying so long. And you're not in the fight anymore. Well, it's time to pick up your sword. It's time to get your shield. It's time to put your breastplate on. It's time to put your helmet on because we're engaged in a battle and no soldier goes to war without their weapon. Just like no athlete goes to the games without practice. And no farmer expects fruit unless he plants a seed. You see, you've got to put the effort and trust God to give you the power. You see, believing... We can't conquer is a lie from the enemy when we're more than conquerors. Caleb believed. Finally, number seven. Joshua chapter 14, would you take a look at verse 13? And Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba, and Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, or the giants. Then the land had rest from war. If you're taking note, number seven, if you want to wholly follow the Lord your God, you've got to be advancing the kingdom of God. You've got to be advancing the kingdom of God. You see, the blessing of Joshua, it's simply an agreement of the blessing of Moses. In Numbers chapter 14, Moses had already blessed Caleb with the land. Joshua is just repeating the blessing of Moses. And let me tell you what the blessing was in Numbers 14. Hey, Caleb, everyone in this generation is going to die, but you and Joshua, you get life. Do you hear that? Because of their unbelief, Everyone is going to die in this generation, but you get life. Life is the blessing. And life is found when you die to yourself and you allow Christ to live through you. Jesus said it best. Lose your life and you will find it. Taking the words of Jesus, the great missionary who lost his life to the Alka Indians, Jim Elliott, he says this, he is no fool who would choose to give the things he cannot keep to find what he has never lose. You see, the mindset, the mindset of losing your life will advance the kingdom in your own heart. 
Now, let me tell you, once you've lost your life, once you've advanced the kingdom in your own heart, advancing the kingdom in the world is the very next step. You see, Jesus told a parable about the sower and the seed. And there was one seed that fell in good soil. And after the word of God took root in that person's life, and the word of God advanced in that person's life, that tree produced 30, 60, 90 folds. You see, when the word of God is advanced in you, then you will produce a fruit of 30, 60, 90 fold. You can't help but give life to others when you have life. That's why we call it the good news. Now, let me tell you what that looks like. Hebron used to be called Kirjath Arba. Hebron used to be called Kirjath Arba. Keep that in mind. Hebron was called Kirjath Arba. Kirjath means city of Arba, the great giant. We want everyone to know this land belongs to the giants, and we want you guys to be afraid. No one can conquer this land, not Caleb. God had advanced the kingdom in Caleb's heart, and he's going to advance the kingdom in the world. And I'm taking back this land from Kirjath Arba, and I'm going to name it Hebron. And Hebron means associated. And let me tell you what Caleb called it Hebron for. This land no longer belongs to the enemy. I've redeemed this land, and it belongs and is associated with God. Caleb believed that. And I believe we should believe that. Seven principles of Caleb's life. Listen, number one. Number one. We need to begin with redemption if we're going to wholly follow God. If we're going to wholly follow God, we've got to gain God's perspective. And number three, we've got to be willing to stand alone. Number four, we've got to learn and live the word of God in our life. And number five, we've got to fight the good fight of faith. If we want to wholly follow the Lord, we've got to depend on the power of the Spirit to do what he's asking us to do. And number seven, we've got to advance the kingdom. I wonder if tonight some of you need a name change. Remember the question I started with. What would your coworkers say of you? What would your family? And they know you as Kirjath Arba. You're the city of anger. You're the city of frustration. You're the city of gossip. You're the city of bitterness and unforgiveness. You're the city of resentment. And the Holy Spirit's ministering to you right now because you know you need a name change. Well, I got great news for you. It begins in your heart. And you allow the kingdom to advance in your heart tonight. Watch how this time next year, if you're known as the city of anger, next year you're going to be known as the man or woman of love. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.